Should we tackle some of these scripts in this week of Thanksgiving? Could we have a whole week of Thanksgiving? It was mainly a week of what's going on with free speech, because that was a recurring theme all the week, wasn't it? Yes, it was. There were several pieces on free speech. Yeah, one for the memory hole and untruth speaker, untruth speaker, right? Isn't that also about free speech or is that about something else? It certainly is. It certainly is. It's about Trump and gag orders and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, we also had uh, the the Finnish piece. Yeah, I was going to get you to say his name. Wasn't it a female? Ivy Razanen. It is a female. Yeah. But looking at this picture... Um, doesn't look as female, but maybe, maybe that's part of, uh, you know, it was part of gay marriage and other issues that, that had come up and, and, uh, and if you don't have free speech, then, then you might kind of decide how should we regulate everybody's speech? And then we also had, I think the Trumpian, you know, the outsider who won in Argentina. Yeah. And a lot of that is about speech and about, um, you know, how he comes off and how certain things cannot be said. And then someone goes and says them. So, you know, and, and I'm for certain things not being said. Uh, I don't like foul language. And he does foul language a great deal. Yes. Yes. Uh, in fact, he do, he says every, he says the worst words in our language right now. Right. Uh, other than the N word. Yeah. I have not heard. I, I mean, I've heard him say, things that I thought were stupid, but uh, but I hadn't heard him say, you know, too much bad stuff. But of course, I haven't heard that much of him other than more, you know, recent things where I, I suspect his, you know, I he was he was a TV star. So a lot like Trump. And uh, but that that's, we should uh, mention who we're talking about. We're talking about the new president yes. of Argentina, Javier Millet. Yes. You know, he is certainly a free market guy. And I think that's gotten muddled some in the, in the press. He's a free market guy in the way that Donald Trump is not, you know, oh. Trump, Donald Trump has never been a free market guy, never was. And every once in a while he, you know, he'll kind of say something like, geez, if nobody else had any barriers, then maybe I'd be okay with free trade. But that's not exactly the, the roaring, rip roaring pro free trade message that free traders like. So, um, and and Malay is very much, uh, you know, uh, not a you know some kind of fascist when it comes to economics. And in essence, um, you know, part of this piece was my just disgust at a Washington Post piece that treated him like a just some Nazi without saying the word Nazi. Would have been more honest than had they just come out and said it. But but that he was the far right, and here they are, you know, uh, defending the Peronistas or, or whatever you, you call them, the Peron fascist, uh, you know, governments that have have not been good for Argentina. Uh, but have been for Argentina for a long time. And here's a guy who, because he said good things about Trump, I mean, it's one thing to be far right, but to say good things about Trump, you're now hated by the U.S. press. And uh, and and he's big. I did not. And, and as you know, we we uh, have uh, I have pushed this uh, this website out into the marketplace called Stop the Chinazis because of my concern about 
what's happening in China, around China, and throughout the world because of China, and just the the aggression that that uh, that they show from genocides at home to to uh, threats abroad, and Argentina was set to join BRICS, and its two largest trading partners are Brazil, which has gone far left, and at least at the presidential level, and and at other levels, it's moving far left. And, uh, and which is which is twice as much as China, which is second, and right below that is the United States at third. So, um, and they were ready to join BRICS and and uh, do all kinds of deals. I think uh, I think China wanted a port in uh, in Argentina that they could open up and and build up. And this guy hates China, and you know what, <laughs> you know. Lots of people can hate China for some stupid reason or another. There's a zillion good reasons. This guy hates China for all the right reasons. He he despises the form of government, which is totalitarianism, which everybody should despise if they have any sense. I mean, it, it, this is like the worst form you could possibly have. And half of our intelligentsia thinks it's swell. Um, and the way we need to move. And here's a guy who is super smart, super well-educated, and connected with super smart and super well-educated people, and connected with middle-class people, and connected with poor people. And and basically part of that is, is what Trump did as well, to speak plainly. Now, you know, I'm one for you. Know, you can speak plainly and maybe not say a few of those words. You know, that's, that's you don't have to be a drill sergeant in the army. But you know what? Communication is communication, and uh, and Trump was an effective communicator. You tend to blow up the messenger because I think a lot of normal people get very tired of messengers like that. Um, but. It is, you know, he did get attention, and and uh, so did so did uh, Malay, and and it, in essence, you and Malay had... won by far more than Trump ever won. This Malay won by. I mean, when Trump won, he didn't win the the popular vote, and and Malay won the popular vote, and he won by the largest margin since 1983 when. Argentina returned to things like votes. So this is, and this is the other thing that when you talk about, you know, we need to embrace kind of the old Peron faction, you're talking about not just, oh, they were bad here or there. You know, they, you, you have a lot of suspension of democracy. When, when I went down to, uh, Argentina years ago, and and uh, which was just kind of a side trip, but I went to a global forum on modern direct democracy in Montevideo, uh, Uruguay, and uh, uh, it was. I found out on that trip that the Uruguay's assembly had been suspended uh, for a couple of years in the eighties, and that it was largely blamed, and from what little I've read on it, admittedly, but after that I read three or four different things, clearly had the support of the US CIA and others in suspending that assembly. 
um, you know, that's not okay. It's not okay when, you know, other countries do it. It's not okay when we do it, but that's the, that's the history there. And that's not, that's not ancient history. You know, that's history that there are people still alive who live that history. And, uh, you know, 1983, that means in 82, there was, it was like not a country that was democratic. This is Argentina. This is a big country in South America. And then in 2023, the stupid U.S. media, which is led by the Washington Post and the New York Times, and that's the two papers that we're, we quote and 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 present uh, in this piece. I mean, there's actually, I think, a couple other links, but but those were the two reports that we pointed out. Both of them just 100% negative on this guy and and twisted and and deranged and so on. I mean, just just smear type nasty and and pro someone who they've got no solution, just more crony capitalism. And we'll just, you know, we'll just somehow the, the rich people keep, keep getting richer. What else can we do? And that's, you know, that is not a way to sell the future of freedom. It, but it is the future that that the Washington Post and the New York Times are ready to embrace. The people of Argentina know. And this was the largest, I think I may have said this, but was the largest, I don't know if I got to it when I got to that part. This is the, the largest margin of victory since 1983. So this is a huge win, the hugest in modern history in Argentina. He's uh, most vociferous against leftists, or as it's translated on the screen when I see it, leftards, as he refers to, <laughs> refers to them. And and when challenged in the most famous interview I think I've seen from him, and I've seen it everywhere, uh, you know, he calls them, uh, uses the S word with leftard, and 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 says, but that's just because you disagree with him, them, you know, they're they're you know they have just a disagreement. And he's no. We must oppose everything. We can't give them an inch because if you give them an inch, they will destroy you. They will kill you. And he's speaking from actually kind of uh, a historical. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's uh, and and that is a perspective that, again, our media doesn't seem there's no reminder that that, you know, of what's happened in the past. And when we talk about communism and someone says, I'm a communist, I'm a Marxist. How has that worked out in the, you know, kind of hundred plus years that, that we've had to deal with that knucklehead? It's, it's, it's been murderous and enslaving for millions and hundreds of millions. And, uh, and it's, it's the sort of thing that, that um, you can't forget stuff like that and, and deal with people who are involved in totalitarian governments and I mean, it, it, if if Hitler had survived, would, would, would we just bow? It's all cool now. I, no, you can't deal with that sort of government. And and that's the way it seems like Malay has, has been from the get go where we, we are not with them. And and I think the way we we should be as well. But the outsider who won, that was uh, uh, Monday's piece, Monday's piece. Which, of course, that election was Sunday. They do it on a Sunday, which, you know, if America didn't have a Tuesday thing, we wouldn't have to talk now about having a national holiday. Like Vivek. 
proposes. Which is going a long way to get accomplished something. It's kind of funny because, you know, it, it makes sense in some ways. It makes more sense to have somebody to vote for and to have some things to vote for. But but and it's kind of silly to be talking about it now when here in Virginia, we're voting for six weeks. So so if you're voting on Election Day. You know, the, uh, a certain percentage of the people who voted six weeks ago have already moved to somewhere else. You know, it's like it's like that's just a huge amount of, you know, you could have two candidates are just totally known differently six weeks later. And uh, we don't vote together. And and it, it's just and, and that's more convenient. Well, you know what? So someone might go, hey, wouldn't it be convenient if we just never held elections? We never have to worry about it. Let's not let convenience trump everything. No pun intended and none allowed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our Tuesday piece was one for the memory hall. And, uh, and, and go read this piece. I don't know that we have to go into a whole lot of detail on it. But this is uh, Osama bin Laden's letter to America, basically, to the world, kind of, to say, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is after 9-11. This is a very important letter. This is a letter that, you know, you would want to make certain, if I were president of the United States, I'd want to make certain that that there is a response to every every allegation, every part and participle in this letter and uh and the last thing you would ever 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 want to do is to ban it and try to snuff it out and that's what basically the the guardian which uh you know is is a paper that i've kind of relied on some i i find the british press uh has been better uh, about covering a lot of U.S. things, they they are they they didn't don't always get the memos or something. To, hey, you're not supposed to mention that, and they go ahead and mention it. So I enjoy reading some of their papers better. And the Guardian's one, but this is that was the main place that this letter was held, and they basically uh, said we're we're not holding it anymore, we're not presenting it anymore, and that's because there was a. There was a trend online, mainly on TikTok, I think, but also on Twitter about young people reading it for the first time. And of course, once again, why didn't they read it in high school? That's a good question. But uh, but uh, right. so there's all these links to it and they wanted those links broken. So you can still find it online. It's just that all the main places that it was, are, it is no longer. I mean, I read it on Scribd, which I, you know, right. you know put it at the end. Of we, the we provide a link, by the way, um, uh, so, you know, if people do want to read it and and it's, you know, you, you it, there's two ways I guess you can go. <laughs> you can go the way of just let's destroy any thoughts that we don't think are going to work out for us. Or you can respond to them and provide people more information as if you respect people as actual, independent, autonomous human beings and um and again and again our government kind of shows which one 
you know, how they view us. But uh, and not, not so much our government, but but even here, the fourth estate. Uh, I mean, our government does it all the time, but not in this case. Uh, this is the fourth estate. And this is this is also part of just a whole uh, of, of the fourth estate. uh basically deciding that it isn't the provider of information. It is the mercurial backroom shapeshifter of information. What to leave out and what to put in for these dummies <laughs> who are dumb because they have a, a press that can't provide much help. Anyway, uh, you know, there's uh, there was an important case, this Trump's uh, gag order, which, you know, it seems to me that will end up at the U.S. Supreme Court uh, very well may and should. And I hope it does, because, um, as we point out in this piece, the idea that the government can gag people and stop them from speaking, that's... <laughs> You know, you don't even need the court. You don't even need the court to read the first right, the first one. And it says shall not be abridged. So that you don't need a court to come in. But of course, the court could abridge it. No, no, you can't. And they shouldn't be able to do it for Donald Trump. And they shouldn't be able to do it for any other human soul. You know, those independent autonomous folks. Anyway, uh, it's just it. And that principle doesn't get, you know, because we're so expert about the legal rationale for why we can do this and that. And Judge Brandis in 1874 times three said whatever and not that all that isn't interesting and, and great to know. It just says it so clearly. This is it's like a real world. It's not just an academic thing that might be fun to toy around with. Donald Trump has a right to say what he wants to say. So does everybody else. And if he can't have it, he's right. <clears throat> They're not going to give it to the rest of us. And he might say something that is actionable. He might say something that is incitement, that is something else. And Lord knows, you can't say, well, but nobody would ever sue. Everyone will sue. He'll be indicted 82 times. He'll have another 96 indictments. So there's plenty of things to go after him if he does anything that's actually criminal. But if he says stuff that makes people feel uncomfortable, and those people might be witnesses. I'm really sorry about that. If you can't prove that it is intended to threaten you, that it is an actual threat, well, then you can't just jump off and go, well, then he has to be silenced. And, and, and of course, part of this whole deal is the way the judges think they can get away with this is that it's really about whether they're allowed to stay out pre-trial. So they can gag you because otherwise they're going to just slap you in jail and you can't get out. And then you can't talk very well at all. So they're using that power 
to control your speech. And that's not good. Might get better speech for those people who are looking for the best possible speech, even if it enforced at bay in that point. Uh, but that's not what I'm looking for. And that wasn't what the framers of our Constitution were looking for either, or they wouldn't have put it right in number one that, hey, no law that will abridge the freedom to speak. You can't, and you can't create some cockamamie system of, oh, you only get to get out of jail if you give us all your rights up. These are people who are accused he has not been convicted. And you know what? When he is convicted, there's going to be a ton of people in this country, if he is. And I think he probably will be. I, I suspect that on a lot of it, he'll get off on appeal because they'll say this is a cockamamie, stupid thing that was ever brought. And no, it doesn't work that way. And and I kind of think this this whole New York fraud thing where the judges always already decided it's fraud, that's going to get appealed up. And in the end, the court's going to throw that out as garbage. And that, that's, I could be wrong. I haven't, I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer. I haven't studied every aspect of the case. But from reading a bunch about it and, and reading a lot of places like the Washington Post and the New York Times, um, so I'm hearing all the, all the, the best stuff they got, um, I think a lot of these are, are going nowhere. But it's, it's, it's so important that the judicial system not get completely mocked and become rotten. It is, I wrote this at, at uh, back when I was doing a, a column for Town Hall, uh, wrote about the best branch of government. And, and I use that term, <laughs> you know, it's it a comparative term. I'm not saying the courts are wonderful, but the federal courts have been independent they have not been partisan. They're not the political courts of virtually the entire world. And frankly, virtually all of the state courts are so crooked as to be on that line between just crooked and forget about it, or some decent justice might shine through every once in a while. That's where our state courts are. Um, and and our federal courts, there's some independence. And I'm not saying they always get it right because they don't. And I've been on, I've been involved in cases. I've lost cases. Um, and the and the Supreme Court, in their cases, they've decided I think are terribly political stuff. There just is a it, there's a limit to it because it's all kinds of different people involved who don't owe anything to the people who put them in. They have lifetime tenure. This is Mr. Term Limits. You know, there's a zillion of us out there. Where, I'm Mr. Term Limits. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. I'm Mr. Term Limits. That's the new, that's the new I am Spartacus. But but um, but I love term limits. But for judges, that's a different thing. And uh and they should be. Under lifetime tenure, I'd love to see that spread to the state level and and literally lock in judges because otherwise they're completely political. The interesting thing is I would do it differently at the Supreme Court level. I would have term limits at that level. The power is just simply too great. And we already see the inclination to 
appoint younger and younger people. You know, one of the things that just disturbs me about our country is that the Supreme Court, which is so important, no one in their right mind is going to argue it's not, is fragile. And Congress, if, if, if Democrats or Republicans control both halves of the Congress and the presidency, they could at any point just completely reshape the Supreme Court. They could add 50 judges and appoint them all new. They could change the whole structure of the court. They could change what the court could do. We have our court, our court, that's supposed to be politically independent, is totally controlled by the political process in Washington. And so far, it's been, and, and we should thank our lucky stars, uh, that you know, Roosevelt, FDR, tried to pack the court. He took, he he actually succeeded in some ways <clears throat> because the court after that kind of buckled under to him in some ways. But he, it was, there was so much backlash that he didn't actually completely uh, pack the court. And, and, uh, but that's, that's a real fear. And, um, and you don't hear much about it. There doesn't seem to be any plan to put it into the Constitution. No discussion. There's discussion about term limits and there's discussion about, you know, should we have more judges or less or, you know, how evil the current judges are? Uh, should there be an ethics thing? But no sort of serious constitutional change and, and foundation to the court. And and why why would why would we not do that? It doesn't hurt anybody except if you want to play political games with the court. But geez, and it would it'd be a great thing for somebody who was running running for president. I started to say that. Then, as I was saying it, I was thinking, yeah, if you want if you want to be in last place, uh, but but because uh, it's not a you know it's not a hot button. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I want structural sound foundation to my you know my federal courts but i do and i'm kind of shocked that there aren't more adult people in the united states of america who care about the fact that our court could be turned into a completely kangaroo court in two seconds if either party got the majority in the congress and the presidency and had the inclination to do it. Well, I guess I should mention uh, that we're talking about Wednesday's piece, Untruth Speaker, Untruth Speaker. I don't think yes. we uh, use that uh, double phrase at all, and I'll let people figure out what that means. And uh, But I did want to mention something before we go Come on. Come on, it's Liar Liar. It's okay. my great title. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it actually took me a few minutes to get that when you first proposed that title. And I thought, what? what is he doing? Anyway, um, I'm not sure I like the idea of term limits on Supreme Court justices. I just want terms. Uh, we don't have terms. We have a lifetime tenure, tenure for, for Supreme Court justices. And I think there should be terms. I mean, maybe give a 12-year term and then let make them go to before Congress again. I still like the term limit, but you could do that. You could go to a, a uh, you know, a longer term and have one or have, you could get a second or whatever. But it's, yeah. it's it, it, to me, the main thing is that there's no serious discussion about fixing a, a problem that's been there for a couple hundred years that 
that you know we we act like we're so sophisticated you know with all these brainy people running around what the heck let's fix the, the stuff right in front of our face one branch of government is is literally hardly written about in the constitution hardly no protection from the from the uh, uh congress and it's 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 only that i think the congress is always held in such low esteem that that maybe the court is is protected by public opinion but the left has been using the courts to legislate for a long time and so the congress has let the court take the lead on a lot of issues that that by the constitution you would think the congress would be in the lead uh there's a lot that the, the congress is, does this with the presidency as well they've let that imperial presidency evolve and they've let this uh out of control yes. court so i don't yes. know i i mean your fear is kind of the opposite of the reality we've experienced so there is that they have used the cart court the other way i mean they haven't micromanaged it they've they've kind of just said run wild because and and in essence facilitated by republican presidents appointing the justices who would do that i mean george hw bush uh, appointed suitor that was sununu not the current governor of new hampshire but his father uh, that was his choice, and so on. Sooner was <laughs> voting with the Democrats all the time on the court. You had, um, you know, Reagan, Bush. Uh, you had a you had a number of people put on that court who were not that good, and uh, and if it wasn't for Trump going three for three, and look at what he's done now, because he did that, uh, they reversed Roe. And that's hurt Republicans at the polls because now the the aggrieved party on that issue feels like you know the people who feel aggrieved are the are the pro-choice forces or the pro-abortion forces. So it's it's um, anyway it it it's interesting how the court has done that. But of course the the solution wouldn't be a more political court. It would just be you know not allowing Congress a, a more representative Congress that didn't say. Oh, here's how we get around them. We'll just hand over. We'll just write this. And 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 actually, this this may be tougher than just term limits or something else to stop. But Congress basically can write laws and say we solved the problem. Oh, it was such hard work, but we got together and did it. And uh, and they write these things, and then. The bureaucracy is supposed to put them together and then people sue because it's like, you're doing what? And and it goes to court and then the courts kind of. So it's, you know, basically the bureaucracy and the courts are constantly either. Either blocked in some way, which you'll hear about or what you don't hear about when they're empowered to go do whatever they want to do, which is 99 percent of it. And it's a big problem because as we sometimes, you know, we in this program, uh, we've talked about a lot of different groups. IJ, uh, Institute for Justice, is one that we've talked a lot about. Uh, the others don't come to mind as quickly. What is the Alliance for uh, Freedom or something? Or uh, anyway, there are a number of these um, basically public interest 
law firms that are think tank law firms kind of they go out and they find political issues and they help do stuff and thank goodness they do but it's like you can't you can't there are too many cases you can't stop the bureaucracy one case after one case after one case um it's a huge problem in in petition stuff you win a case against something like a, a restriction that says only people in this city or only people in this state can collect signatures. Well, we've been winning those cases all over the country for for 15, 20 years. Problem is we're still fighting them because there's, you know, you don't get that kind of blanket uh thing. And and so anyway, uh there is there is a a need for laws and for to, to be designed by legislatures who are not looking to the courts to sort it out, who are not looking for the bureaucracy to fill in all the blanks, who feel responsible to their constituents to write it in such a way that they're not just left to the vagaries of the bureaucracy and the court system. Because that's that's a living hell, and and I say that I, I'm I I like most lawyers I meet. I, I'm not an anti-court system. We gotta have one. I'm not you know. In other words, this is not because the the courts or the people who work for the government are all terrible evil people. This is because it's a system. It's an institution. That's how it works. That's how it tends to work. Its inputs and so on are not like McDonald's or FedEx or wherever. And, and so different things happen. And, and boy, we want, you know, the, this system was designed to have people in public office making the laws who felt connected to us. And that's not there. Look, people realize that largely, I do this with Tim because it's part of a settlement with the Justice Department to have a certain number of Finnish people associated with our show. And, you know, it's just, I'm just checking that box that, that of course, I mean, you're going to be slapped with a lawsuit so fast. You know, a Finn comes in for a job, for anything else, you better give it to him. Don't fool around. <laughs> yeah. You're referring to Friday's piece, Disagreeing with Pai V. Razanen. Yes, people should go read this. Uh, uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy it. Not because it's a happy piece. It's not a happy piece. It's it's a sad piece. But it will tell you that if you think the world is really off its rocker, you are not going crazy. We are not going. I mean, some of us may be, but for the most part. <laughs> on these sorts of issues, we're not crazy. And this is, I mean, you you can't you can't read this piece without realizing that Finland's not a free country. If you're a Christian, Finland is not or a particular Christian who's not ready to to kind of say, okay, I agree with whatever the government tells me. And the truth is, at that stage, well, they, you know, if, if Finland has religious freedom, China's got religious freedom. 
it's the same sort of thing. And and our neighbor to the north, Canada, is where you can't even post news stories to like social media. It's I mean, the First Amendment. This is our gift to the world. If people can speak freely, all kinds of wonderful things happen. This is almost everything good in this world has is either there because of or has been dramatically enhanced by freedom of speech. And what do the totalitarian thug monsters always want to kill first? And it's, it's like, don't let them do it. And don't, this is not about religion. It's not about what it says in the Bible. It's not about gays. It's not, a, this is about freedom of speech. And, and look, nobody, nobody can deny someone their own life and nobody can deny somebody their own religion. Hey, as long as we recognize that, go. Go and, and you know and keep your hands off each other. Um, anyway, without permission, without uh, without whatever. But um, and and be grateful. Darn it. Um, my favorite piece of the week, and it's it's uh, we have done some Thanksgiving history pieces, and we've talked about Thanksgiving, and you know and. And I think we've talked in different ways at different times about being thankful and gratitude and, and so on. Um, but, uh, and, and many thanks to you, Tim, because so much of this is, is stuff that you taught me in essence, you brought it to me. And, and, and uh, it's the, the history and the, the philosophy of gratitude that is, throughout christianity but before christianity throughout you know and and this piece kind of goes through it's throughout american history but it was there at the very beginning and it's throughout christianity but it was there before christianity there is and it is i think an essential part of any any religion and I guess we all get to have our own choice, but being grateful, um, count your your blessings. It's like, unlike anybody else, I get a little bit PO'd sometimes that this thing didn't work out a certain way. And the moment you start to count your blessings, the moment you you focus in a different way, all of a sudden, you know, what, what can you do? You, you know, what, what's the saying you, uh, I either win or I learn. And, uh, uh, and just having kind of a sense of, of not being entitled to everything that I, to me, in some ways, that's the scariest thing about our age is that the expectations are that everything's there to just, you know, do for you. And, uh, and life is, is tougher in recent years i've had something of a religious awakening and and uh you know i don't i don't talk about that in in common sense but one of the things i've noticed in religion as different than not really being involved in religion for decades is there's much 
more talk of death, much more talk of suffering. And I think we live in a world where we want to constantly be shocked by suffering and death. And, <clears throat> and sometimes I'm shocked by how we're allowing certain suffering and death and some of the people and the crazy ideas that are behind the suffering and death. But, but that has been the way the world is and has been. And, and I think, I think we have to realize we're, we're not in the utopia that they want to tell us we are on TV and at school and at the government, you know, office. And, and we're in the real world and in the real world, boy, be grateful that you're, that you're still alive. Nobody owes you anything. And, uh, and thank goodness that there's a lot of people who, you know, care about you, love you. And uh, because almost everybody I know, there's not one or two, there's a whole bunch of people who care about them. And, uh, and, you know, we have Thanksgiving and, and, you know, we can be thankful in lots of different ways, but to, but to think about it as something that's, that's part of our philosophy of life um that it's it's really not just kind of thinking saying thank you but being grateful in a uh in a in a deeper way and that was thursday's one by one that's of this is commonsense.org and we've covered five pieces what do you know one by one yeah i think we're wrapped very good all uh, right and people should go to this is commonsense.org the podcast is on rumble and soundcloud and that's all you need to know i think mm -hmm.